Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I created this show about four and a half years ago with the purpose of bringing really interesting people in to interview them to find out nuggets, ideas, theories, and thoughts, because I am a strong believer that success leaves clues. Now, if you've been listening to this show lately, you know that I have switched from two interviews a week to one interview a week, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I have interviewed so many people since the first of the year that I have my interviews for Thursdays in the can all the way up until almost May 1st. So the problem with that is when you stumble upon something where you think, oh, my God, the listeners of the show have to know this, it means that I have to either put them off till May or I have to use one of the Tuesday spots. So instead of me just talking about something that I'm observing in the world of entrepreneurship and business, I thought I would bring my friend James Fell, who is the author of a new book called The Holy Shit Moment. Yes, that is the title of the book. Uh, I thought I would bring him on, and we're going to have a little discussion about creating change, because this is something that I have been doing a lot of. You know if you listen to the show, I've been pretty open with the fact that last year was kind of a flat year, and I had to change. I've got to pop it up a bit. Well... We're a month into the year, and that's actually happening. Things are going pretty well. And one of the things that I did is I picked up a new book about a week ago called The Holy Shit Moment. And uh, even though I know James, sort of, we were part of sort of a circle of professional speakers and writers together, uh, I don't know him well, but as I've read this book, I realized that he is on to something. If you want to get on on the early stages of reading a book that people are going to be talking about for a long time, like, you know, people still are talking about Good to Great. It came out like 18 years ago or 15 years ago. I think this book is going to be one of those books. Uh, now, you could call me in 15 years and go, nobody read it, Tom. But... <laughs> I think if you want to get in on a book that people are going to really talk about, and if you care about creating change in your life and your career, this is something you need to do. So I asked James to come on to this special Tuesday episode, and uh, we're going to get deep about how do you create change. But before I bring James onto the show, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you, as many of them are, by my friends at Amplifier. Now, many of you out there, you have physical products that you ship to your fans and your customers, but dealing with all the shipping and the packing and the going to the post office, that steals all your precious time. Well, my friends over at Amplifier, they blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you fully control. And that's who I work with for the Try New Things t-shirts that many of you have already bought. If you want to buy a t-shirt, you can go to trynewthings.shop right now, and uh, the order will go straight over to Amplifier. They will print it, pack it, and mail it, and you'll have it in just a few days. So they integrate with your e-commerce shop like they do mine, and they help drive any giveaway campaigns that you do. They're great for big companies or small. Now, on-demand production means you don't have to stock up on inventory. I don't have a thousand shirts sitting there in the warehouse. I have no shirts. You order, they print. It's awesome. But as you grow and you have more money and you want to save a little bit, they can do big orders for you as well and take care of the fulfillment out of the warehouse. So go over to amplifier.com slash cool things and sign up today. 
So James Fell, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I'm so honored to be considered an entrepreneur. I just thought I was a guy that wrote silly sentences on the internet. <laughs> well, you know, it is so interesting because I, I fly, fly fast and loose with this idea of entrepreneurship. Uh, sometimes people tell me because I'm a solopreneur, they said, well, you're not scaling anything. You don't have employees. You're not growing a business. You're not an entrepreneur. And I'm like, I don't know. The, the, the definition I use of an entrepreneur is someone who is scrappy, uh, takes risks and creates their own wherewithal for income in this world. And so uh, that's me. And I actually think that's you as well. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. Uh, that sounds uh, like, like a good compliment that I'm willing to accept. Thank you. So, so let's go back to the early days of James. You weren't always doing the things that you're doing now. What was, what was the first career for you? Um, well, the, the first career was being as lazy as possible and doing next to nothing. And then there was the, the, the holy shit moment that, uh, that happened in the early 20s that got my act together. And, uh, and I spent quite a bit of time in university. But yeah, I, I got an MBA and I worked at actually the, the MBA was, uh, it was a marketing MBA, but it was an entrepreneurship focused program. I worked in business uh, as a marketing executive for close to a dozen years, but writing had been my passion that that was at the age of 40 when I, when I decided that I needed, needed to make the leap from working in an office to, uh, to following what it was that really inspired me in my life. Now, a lot of people say, I want to leave the office and become a writer or whatever it is that their passion is. They don't necessarily end up with like a, such a heavily read blog and becoming a columnist who is syndicated all over the place. What did you do when you made that shift from being a marketing executive to a writer. Now, and, and clarification, you wrote about health and fitness because that's something that you were passionate about. But how did you actually get paid to write about health and fitness? Uh, well, I put my MBA to work. <laughs> I would say that, uh, that I did a bit of a business analysis. At the beginning, I was considering fiction and I, I analyzed the potential income from that and came to the realization that there's, there's I, Stephen well, King and then everybody else. Yeah, pretty much. There was the, the, the opportunities to make a decent living in fiction were not that significant. And I honestly didn't think that I had the skill to do it. Whereas uh, when it came to health and fitness, that was an example where I saw a hole that was yearning to be filled that I felt that I had the capacity to do it and to make my mark in that. And I began with just a local magazine, but I was quite aggressive in my sales pitching. Like I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm good at this. I'm better than a lot of other people. So I'm going to go out there and just pitch relentlessly. And if people say no, then, you know, such is life. There's, there's no end of other people that I can call or email. And after my first uh, piece was published in that local magazine. A year later, I had a column with the Los Angeles Times. So, and what's know, interesting it, is you had a regular column with the Los Angeles Times, and you live in Canada. Yeah, and there's weren't, no shortage there, of weren't fit there people fit people. <laughs> we were both going the same way with that. I'm like, weren't there fit? I think there's a lot of fit people who know how to use a word processor in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I, I mean, I, I like to think that that was a testament to my ability, but. Uh, yeah, it, it is a little weird to, to for a, a time I was the fitness expert for the Los Angeles Times, despite living in Canada. And uh, they even they even included mention of when I talked about running in the snow, which people in L.A. can't even identify with. You know, those, 
those stories made it into the LA Times. So I don't know how I got away with that. <laughs> well, they they just thought there was a lot of cotton balls that had blown over from a truck or something. It looked like yeah, stuff. maybe. So. So you did that now. I mean, part of it is you were 40 years old and you're one of those guys who, if you take your shirt off, the rest of us are like, put your shirt on because you're so fit. <laughs> so you obviously knew health and fitness, but but you weren't always fit. Let's go back to your holy shit moment that this whole new book is about. And and you were kind of a, a, a Dorito eating fat kid in college. Yes, that is exactly true. And and beer drinking. Don't forget that one. <laughs> um, it it no, it wasn't a global change all at once. It was more like, let's deal with the critical issues uh, to begin with. And, how and how pudgy were you? How much overweight were you? Um, well, I've lost 50 pounds of fat and put on about 20 pounds of muscle. Okay. So, it's, you, know, so you, were, you were what we, what we would have called doughy. Yeah, that sounds accurate. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, that, that was not the first thing that I tackled. The first thing that I tackled was it was the more imminent crises uh, the big ones being being kicked out of school and credit card companies calling. So, so you had I, bad uh, grades, debt, and you were tubby. Yes. <laughs> so what, I what I every left, like twenty one year old college student wants, right? Yeah. That uh, well, and not only that, but the there was some fear that being kicked out of school that I was going to lose this wonderful girlfriend that I had that, uh, you know, she was, she was a straight A student that was destined for med school. And I just didn't think that she was going to stick with a guy that, that was a drunken dropout that was letting his health go down. <laughs> Wait, this gets worse. Drunk, drop, flunking <laughs> out, lots of debt and fat. Why did she go out with you in the first place? I'm not sure. I think maybe she saw some potential there. And, uh, and yeah, so there was that transformative experience. And, and, where, and I have to tell the listeners, you did marry her and you now have two almost grown children together. Yeah, 17 and 20. One's, uh, one's an, uh, he's getting an A- minus in his second year of engineering, which an A- minus average in engineering is actually really good. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. <laughs> And my daughter's a straight A student in twelfth uh, grade who's thinking med school. So they took like after they took after their mom. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they they get their brains from their mom for sure. But yeah, it was one of those situations where I dealt with the uh, the getting kicked out of school thing first by begging my way out of my my poor grades, and and that was actually one of the things that I did where I went to the uh, the governing body that, that listened to my appeal. And I told them, I said, you know what, I've had this transformative experience where I've realized that I'm not, I'm not the man that I was that was flunking out of school. I'm a different person now and, uh, and I'm going to work really hard and, and I promise that, that you know, I, w- I won't let you down with the second chance. And I didn't. After that, I was, uh, I was sort of a, well, B plus to A minus student most I didn't go straight A's, but I, I went from from you know D's and F's to B pluses and A minuses. I thought that was a pretty big jump. Yeah, we'll give, you, we'll I, give you credit for that. There's kudos there. Yeah, I was uh, I felt pretty good about it. Got a couple of master's degrees. Uh, had a successful career. Oh, got a uh, you know paid off the credit card debt. But it wasn't until I finished my first undergraduate degree that I thought, okay, well you know I've got that under control. What else can I do? And uh, the next step was, okay, let's deal with this beer belly. And so I did that. And it, it creates a cascade effect of, um, you know, it were a snowball effect of where success begets success. That when you get used to being successful in one thing, it's like, okay, 
what's next? What's my next quest? So the next quest was fitness. And then, you know, it was master's degrees and career. And then it was career change because I decided that I didn't want to just earn a paycheck. I wanted to do something I was really passionate about. And, uh, and after making a, a big impact as a freelance writer, it was like, okay, now books and then speaking career, there's always thinking what's next. And I'm, I'm already thinking, you know, after this, well, one day I think I might want to try and write a novel now that I've got much more experience and a large platform that as you know, the next, the next quest is writing a novel and hopefully it won't suck. <laughs> so. So I wanted to talk today about kind of this whole thing around creating change in your life. And, you know, for the people who listen to this show regularly, I, I talk pretty openly about things that I've changed the last couple, almost three years. When, when I turned 50, I made a decision I was going to make age 50 to 75 the best years of my life. And I always like to put a caveat. It's not like my life sucked. So that was a big challenge. You know, I had some good things that happened in the first half of my, of my time on this planet. But the first thing I did was I lost 30 pounds. And I did it through running. Now, I was a kid who never run. I don't think I'd ever run a mile in my life. My, my daughter had said to me, well, wait, Dad, you ran that 5K that one time. And I said, no, there was a thing that happened during that 5K. It was called walking. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so I don't think I'd ever run a mile ever. And then I ended up running, you know, 13 plus there for that half marathon. Along the way, I lost 30 pounds. And then I just sort of decided that I was going to keep trying things that seemed hard. I kind of have figured out in the last three years that I, like a lot of people, had only done things that came easy to me. So athletics wasn't easy, so I didn't do it. Mm. Uh, you know, people say, oh, but public speaking so hard. Well, I had to learn how to do it, but it, but it wasn't. I, was, I had a natural kind of gift to be able to get up and, and share a story. And so uh, I found that I wasn't doing things that weren't naturally going to be easy. And that's fine. You can build a whole career and have a whole life by just taking the easy path. But since then, I've done things like you know, I jumped off the stratosphere right after my 50th birthday. It's a 108-story jump in Los Angeles outside of a building, uh, and, I'm, and I'm scared of heights. And uh, I did that, and I went ziplining because I'm scared of heights. Uh, and I've done all this stuff. I took up doing stand-up comedy. Our, our mutual friend, Andrew Tarvin, took me to an open mic night in New York, and I was petrified. And I did it, and I lived, and I wasn't great. You know, I'm the comedians, professional comedians aren't worried about job security because I did an open mic night. But I decided I was then going to go out and do 100 of them because that's where the growth and the learning would come in. So I have put into effect in the last three years all of these changes, and I find that every time I do one, it's easier to do the next one. And in fact, I talk about you know a couple years ago, almost three years ago, jumping off the stratosphere. I was back in Vegas, and as a Christmas present to my future son-in-law, my, my daughter just got engaged, uh, we bought him the sky jump. And there's nothing better to do to your future son-in-law than throw him off a 108-story <laughs> building. And uh, my daughter said, are you doing it with him? And I said, yes, I'm doing it with him. So he and my other daughter, not the one he's marrying, she was like, I am staying on the ground. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I did ask him afterwards when he, when he went to see his parents after Christmas. We were there for, with him for Christmas, but he and my daughter went to his family afterwards. I said, did you tell him that your in-law's present was present was they threw you off a 108-story building? Did, the irony was not lost on anybody, I think, that that's what we gave him for Christmas. But the second time I did it, and granted it was several years later, it wasn't as scary. And so what I realized was by going out and doing, it makes it easier the next time to go and do. And so is that is that what you talk about? Yeah, there's uh, – there's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, I've got to admit. <laughs> and, but the the book is more about that that – first transformative experience 
where maybe you've got some problems in your life where you feel like this is a solution that I need to solve, or it could things could really be a crap sandwich where you're reaching a breaking point and you just have to completely go in a new direction. You mentioned Good to Great. That's a book that I quote a few times in mine uh, later on. I'm not sure if you're there yet, but there are people who are in a situation where, you know, maybe like you were, oh, well, you know, first part of life has been pretty good. But now I'm thinking about, okay, what am I going to do next? What is going to take it to uh, the next level? What it, What is going to make things great? And I think that that ties with a lot of what you've just spoken about, because, you know, there, there's interesting research that shows that people where if life is just peachy, we do have a tendency to maybe develop a little bit of complacence and even malaise where there's nothing that is pushing us because we have a tendency to become risk averse because we're afraid that if we do something risky, then this comfortable life that we've created for ourselves is potentially going to be harmed in some way. But what we don't realize is that there's a quote in the book by Earl Nightingale, who is a radio personality, who was actually one of the very few people to survive the sinking of the USS Arizona in Pearl Harbor. And his quote was, um, most people tiptoe through life, hoping to make it safely to death. And I, I think that that's something that a lot of us need to think about, that analyze that quote and realize, how do you feel about that? And some people are like, yeah, that's me. That's fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. But other people could have a more visceral reaction. We're like, no, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to, I don't want to tiptoe safely to death. I want to make it unsafely to death. I want it to be more of a thrill ride where, um, you know, you've, you've wrung every bit of possibility and excitement out of, this uh, corporeal being that you've got so that you feel like there was no stone left unturned. There's another quote that I put in the book from uh, Sir Winston Churchill, who lived to be 90 years old, and he had one hell of an adventure for a life that the quote was, um, uh, it's been a grand journey, well worth making once. And I think that a lot of people need to consider that is, What is it that you feel that you would need to do from now, between now and the day you die? And this doesn't mean take stupid, you know, uh, risks that are going to put your life in danger. But what, what would you need to do between now and the ultimate end, the big deal, uh, the big D that would make it a grand journey? that was well worth making. And that's one of the things that constantly resides in the back of my mind that doesn't think that, you know what, I'm 50. I do not want to run the rest of my days on autopilot, just saving for retirement. And then, you know, there's the annual trip to the beach in Mexico and doing the same old kind of stuff and making it safely to death. There's still thrills ahead of, um, you know, adventures to be had that, uh, that I'm not ready to relinquish yet just because I got a little bit old. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'm excited about what I've done because it really has made my life better by, by trying these new things and saying yes instead of no to things that maybe wouldn't be my natural uh, instinct to go do. It's made me better and stronger, not only in life having more fun, but also in my career. 
uh, I recently was the MC for a large uh, association, about you know two or three thousand people in their audience, and I had been the MC in 2017. And mm-hmm. they liked me and thought I was a great master of ceremonies for a four-day event. They brought me back in 2018. And after it was over, the meeting planner came up to me and she said, I thought you were good. It's why I rehired you. She goes, but you were great. And she asked me, what's the delta? And I said it was the fact that I started doing stand-up at 51 years old. And she said, yeah, but you weren't out there telling jokes. You weren't being a comedian. And I said, no, but having at that time, I'd done like 15 open mic nights. I said, it's made me more confident and more playful with an audience. And I'm not, you know, if I can do open mic, I bomb a lot. I get up there for five minutes and people don't really laugh. And the jokes I think are funny aren't, although I'm getting better. But, uh, mm-hmm. but by doing that, I realized that, you know, when I'm emceeing, I'm not taking as big of a risk. Stand-up comedy is the hardest use of the English language I think that exists, mm-hmm. but it's making me a better speaker. And so I think by, by doing these things, it's changed my, my whole career. So if somebody is like feeling exactly what you said that, yeah, I, I do the same thing. We take the same vacation. We go to dinner with the same people. You know, I run the same route every single time and they want to create a change and they realize there's something better they could be doing. Maybe it's, they have to lose that 50 pounds or maybe it's, they, you know, they just want to get off the couch and get a hobby. And what do they you know? Some- do? Something interesting happened to me just yesterday that reinforced some of this, that it doesn't always have to be big. Sometimes it can be small. So with this book coming out just over a week ago, I've been doing interviews and podcasts with, you know, papers and TV and radio and, and just none as great as cool things entrepreneurs do though. None, none as good as this one. I got to admit, (laughs) but, but yesterday I was starting to feel pretty rundown because it's been nonstop for about two months. And it was, I'd done four interviews yesterday and it was my last one of the day. And it was another one. It was for a radio station in Montreal and it was just about to start. I was, I was on hold. The producer had called and it's like, okay, we're, we're ready to go. You know, you'll just, you'll hear the click and then you'll, you'll be live and, and uh, are y'all ready? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready. And, and it was that sort of 30 second gap where you're listening to the commercial on the radio and you're ready to go. And I was just like, you know, let me just get this over with and let this day be done. And it it occurred to me that this was rather hypocritical of me (laughs) that that here I was going to preach about, you know, the excitement for your passion in life. And here I was feeling a little bit run down that that, and because it was a lot of the same thing over and over again. But something just sort of clicked in my brain that, you know, that I realized that there were people listening to this radio station in Montreal that didn't know what my name was. They'd never heard me speak before. They had never heard of this book before. And, uh, and this was my opportunity to maybe reach just one person that was listening. And I, I'm supposed to be talking about something that's really exciting about chasing your dreams, finding out what those dreams are and chasing them with inspired vigor. And, I'd be damned if I was going to be boring about it. If there was just that one person that I could excite in that Montreal talk radio audience, then I was going to do my very best. And that that change happened in the space of a few seconds right before the announcer came on. And I think I gave one of my best interviews I'd ever given just because in a moment I decided I'm going to go for it and do my very best. And afterward, it's like the rest of the day was great. Like I went up and I told my wife exactly what happened. I said that, you know what? I explained everything I just explained to you. 
And, and, you know, for the rest of the night, it was like, I was happy while I was making dinner and, you know, working out later on, like everything was just cool. It just picked me right up. So, so, so is at the basic level is change a choice. You know, it, it, in some ways it is, but in other ways, what we talk about in the book is that it's more of an awakening because, you know, I know we haven't gone into a lot of the details about what this book is about, but it is the sudden finding of inspiration that is not the tortoise approach. It's not slow and steady. It's not baby steps. It's finding um, inform. It's when information in your unconsciousness suddenly coalesces in a profound way that delivers unto you with a flash of sudden overwhelming insight an emotional experience that says, this is what you've got to do. And that's not so much a choice as it is a sudden awakening that carves a new purpose into your being like a chisel working on stone that just says, you got to do it. And you're like, I cannot deny this. I must, I have to go in this direction. So no, actually I'd say it's not really a choice because a lot of these people feel like it's, they don't have a choice. They just have to. And that is why they're so driven. So James, I've got more questions for you. We're not we're not stopping this interview. I've got I've got more for you, but I got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like James Fell. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things. Check out the special offer they have for the listeners of this show. So, James, what I love about your book is you're a storyteller. Now, clearly, because you know, you've been a writer for over a decade, you know how to, to put the prose in. Make me feel like you're speaking directly to me. Like every There's a section in every chapter I've read so far where I'm like, oh, he wrote this for me. <laughs> but I love the stories you tell in the book. My, my favorite so far is the woman who worked in the insurance business who felt like she needed to help this person who was uninsured. And she told her boss, you might fire me for what I'm about to do, but I'm not just going to hang up the phone. I'm going to go get them the letter that they need to get them the Medicare, even though it's outside of the world, of the, our insurance company's role. I'm going to do it. And her boss let her do it, and she continued to work there. But after that happened, she suddenly realized that being a customer service person for an insurance company was not it. And she went and got an advanced degree and changed her whole world. It didn't happen overnight, but from that day forward, she had to go get that extra degree. And one of her friends, she was thinking, oh, but that's going to, you know, I still have to work. It's going to take, you know, 10 years before I'll ever have the right certifications to be able to start this thing and do what I want. And her friend said, you're going to be 10 years older either way, either without the master's degree or the PhD or whatever it is or not. And I loved that story because I tell people that all the time when I'm talking about, you know, anything and in, in reaching your potential. If you, if you need to grow, like I talk to people all the time and they're like, I don't have the right network. So I tell them how to do it. And they're like, but that could take five years. And I'm like, well, you're, you know, one lady, one guy said to me in five years, I'm going to be 55. And I'm like, well, you're going to be 55 with or without this network, you know. I hope because the alternative is dead. So I loved that story because it really spoke to like my life. Now is the time to start. You know, the, the old, the old uh, Chinese proverb, uh, the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. The second best time is today. If you're called, answer the phone and go. 
And and the thing about that is, you know, we talk about say 10 years down the road or five years down the road, that you do not need to wait that period of time before you start to experience the benefits from it. You begin experiencing the benefits immediately simply because of the decision that you've reached that I'm going to do this. It's a dramatic mood shifter. For example, that mood shift that I had back in my 20s when I realized that I'd been very lazy and that I was flunking out of school and and all that kind of stuff, I was in a state of despair. And with that instantaneous realization that I could get to work and fix all of the problems that I had, there was a great relieving of burden where it's called dramatic relief, where suddenly you just feel an overwhelming power, uh, powerful sensation of that, that everything's going to be okay because you see the light at the end of the tunnel and you know you're moving in that direction now. All those problems that I had still existed. They were still there, still very real, but I knew that, okay, I'm chipping away at them now. They're not, they're no longer building up. They're no longer getting bigger. They're going to get smaller because of the decision that I made right now. And uh, what happened with uh, Lee Holland was her name, the, uh, the woman that, that, that she had that sudden realization immediately after her shift walking through the parking lot that she was destined to uh, be able to help people navigate their way through the, the American healthcare system that she knew that it was going to take many years of work to do it. But, and that's one of the things about this book, it's not about trying to find some hack for making, you know, the, the work easier. It's not a quick fix in, in that sense of the, the, the term. What it is, is that what changes quickly is your attitude toward that work where what was once may have seemed like drudgery has come to feel like your destiny, where it's not work, it is something that you are compelled to do. So we've, we're already at a half hour, and I said this was going to be about 20 minutes. So we're, you know, I, I could talk about this book forever. And if you're listening right now and you've listened all the way to this point, I'm going to tell you it's the best book I've picked up in a long time, not only because of it speaks to me about this whole thing about change that I'm, I'm going through and I'm, I'm working on in my business, but in addition to it, He's, he's a good writer, and so the book makes me chuckle, and it makes him makes me feel like he's talking to me. So I'm, I'm going to make a little bit of a plug, and I'm going to say go on to Amazon, buy the holy shit moment, read the book, and then if you like the book, send him an email and say, I heard about you on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, because he's also going to be interviewed by like the LA Times, and they have a few more readers than I do, so than I do listeners. So let him know that somebody – heard about the book and said, Tom said to buy the book, so I bought the book. And then uh, he can smile and buy me a beer someday. Uh, so, James, before I let you go, can you, give, can you sum it up into just maybe a couple of sentences? What's the biggest takeaway why someone needs to read this book? Well, there's, there's two things that I would communicate to people about how to have this type of life-changing experience. The first one is that they need to believe that it can happen for them. It's far more common than people think because it is a deeply emotional experience where those who have had this transformative event happen to them have a tendency to not talk about it too much because it, was, it seemed like it was so unusual that they, they fear uh, letting other people know about it. But once, you know, you start investigating, you realize about a third of people are already having them. So believe that this is something that can happen to you. The other thing is you need to get comfortable being alone with your own thoughts because these type of events where we have a tendency to spend a lot of time on rational, logical analysis about our lives and what it is that we want to do, you know, from this day forth, 
we don't give ourselves the opportunity to uh, you know, take a walk out in nature or engage in shower thoughts or uh, meditation or prayer, which allows this answer to be delivered from our unconsciousness. You need to unplug every once in a while and just engage in that free association. And that is when potentially that sacred answer is going to come. Hmm. Wow. All right. So I've already plugged the book. Uh, if somebody needs to get a hold of you, they need to know more. They need to hire you to come speak at their conference because I'm already booked. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, how do they find you? Bodyforwife.com. So again, you mentioned, you know, the health and fitness background. Uh, it was a play on words from when Body for Life was popular. Um, I got in shape before proposing to my wife. So that was kind of where it came Body from. Body for Wife. I get it. Yeah, bodyforwife.com. There's a tab for books that has every link that they can possibly imagine for uh, for purchasing it, uh, including on Audible. Audible just said uh, apparently it's an Audible bestseller now. And uh, if they want to check out my speaking page, there's a tab for speaking as well. Awesome. Well, James Fell, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know you of recent and uh, – you're sort of my one to watch as an author and a speaker because uh, I think that you have a lot of what I call sort of the boxes checked in the right order. So hopefully when uh, you know, you're know you super famous, uh, when you come through Austin, you'll still go out and uh, have a beer with me. I love Austin. I'll, I'll definitely do that. I've been there a couple of times. It's a great town. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, jumping in here on this special interview Tuesday show. I Like I said, the Tuesdays are usually just me, but I couldn't wait until April or May to share the information in your book because I'm really loving it. So thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tom. Hey, and thank you to everybody for tuning in. I say it every single episode. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. And if you are looking to create change in your life, go and buy The Holy Shit Moment. And uh, if you're looking for anything about me, you can find everything you need to know at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. If you like the show, go over to iTunes and subscribe and leave one of those reviews. It just makes my day better when there's a new review. So it's so simple to make my day better. It it takes very little. Uh, And then uh, I'm going to challenge you as you go out here. Go out there and try something new. And while you're doing it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.